Hey everybody, welcome to You Were Born For This with Father John Ricardo. That's me, Father John. I'm your host. I'm the executive director of Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to transforming parishes. And we have, in addition to Nick and Mary, my co-hosts normally, special guest Deacon Steve Mitchell back in the house, who we affectionately call Moses. So, hey, uh, it's, Mo, it's good to have you back, bro. It's good to be here. Yes. He's almost Moses always in the, in the podcast. <laughs> he just, we just don't let him have a mic. But right. uh, yeah. we gave him a mic today. Good to have you with us, brother. It's good to be with you. And uh, this could be dangerous. This could be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. This might be the last time you hear from Moses. <laughs> so I'm going to get it all in. I'm going to leave it all on the table. I believe leave the, it the on Testament the field. said that he had a, a speech impediment of some sort. So, I mean, if we just pull your mic away from you, you'll know why. So <laughs> if he disappears in the podcast. The Nick, time. what do we got for a topic today? It's, uh, this, this is so appropriate to have uh, Steve here because the topic is just continuing to unpack what all of us were a part of, right, in trying to create something. What is that? Yeah, topic? that's our white paper you're talking about, which is... Um, continuing today's episode, right? So, so today's topic is really, we invite everyone to just dare to dream with us about what our parishes can be. Hmm. And um, so this is, this is kind of like the second episode of a mini-series on our white paper. But Father John, we always. always pray. Let's do that. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Father, we uh, surrender this time right now. We, uh, we just pray that everybody who's listening might be filled with hope, encouragement, especially in these unsettling and volatile days that we're living in. That you would, in a way that only you can, pour out your spirit upon uh, our land, the church, each of us individually. That you would illumine our minds so as to see uh, anew what it is that you've done for us in the person of your son, Jesus. And that you would send us out into a world which is longing for reasons to hope with unshakable confidence, not in ourselves, not in our own wisdom or creativity, but in you and in your power and your goodness and your mercy. So, Father, we hand you this conversation. Pray that it would be edifying to all those who uh, we very much picture in this room with us right now. And we thank you in advance for the fruit that you'll bear through it. We ask all this in Jesus' most powerful name. Amen. 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 Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Nick said we're in the middle of this series, right? So, you know, maybe someone's joining us right now. They don't know anything about what it is that we've just done. So here's one of the things that we did just yesterday, actually. We had this great occasion to celebrate uh, a mass of Thanksgiving for one of our brothers, Father Andrew Maybe. Congratulations, Father Andrew, Mm -hmm. uh, who just got ordained to the ministerial priesthood of Jesus Christ for uh, the Archdiocese of Detroit. (laughs) And so he, he came by here, Most Holy Trinity in Detroit, where we are had a chance to celebrate mass with him and uh, celebrate with him and i don't know what five six priests maybe we had six priests a deacon and three seminarians yeah so spectacular time right just a lot of joy and then uh, most of them had never been up in our offices which are here in most holy trinity as well so we invited them up showed them around and then we had a chance just to kind of sit right where we are right now in our conference room which is surrounded by our core values and whiteboards and we just basically broke open our the white work. paper, and right? Our, and mm-hmm. our work, how yeah. we do our work. What we do and whatnot. So <laughs> we very much picture what we're doing right now, this conversation. Imagine, you know, you just stopped by our office. We want to try to explain to you, like, why'd you do this? What's in it? And, like, what's the one takeaway that I should have today? You know, namely, dream big. Like, let's just dream about what parishes can be, right? So isn't that how we see this? 
And you know, uh, Father, on the front end, I think it's just real important to to go back and to explain the why, because mm-hmm. the, the why of what we do is so important. So why did we write this white paper? Um, like many of you during the pandemic, we found that we had a lot of time on our hands. Mm. We had a ton of time to pray. And it became very clear to us that God was asking us to put our hands to, to, what, to what became this white paper. And because of our experience in diocesan ministry and as clergy and as lay leaders in a parish, uh, we on the team were just absolutely and utterly convinced that both our experience in ministry as well as our experience being on the across the country over the last eight or nine months with priests and leaders across the country um, that the present model for parish life is not sustainable it's untenable and so because we had so much time to think and to pray uh, god made it really clear that as we often say to our priests that we're ministering to and our bishops God has a plan for your parish and your diocese or your marriage. And we feel like this is a plan that was really born from his heart, Mm. right? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, as I'm looking at you, I'm looking at our core values on our walls too. So, So one of our core values as a team is we're ambitious for God, right? So what does that mean? It means we really don't think much about us and what we're capable of, but we have so much confidence Mm. in what God is able to do. And... I think we all sense that one of the one of the calls God's given to us as a ministry is to be bold uh, and to push things. And and really in the white paper, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to push something. We're trying to raise a topic, which we all have experience of. If you're listening to this, you got experience of this. That mm-hmm. something in parish ministry, except for maybe those one percent of parishes, is just not working well. And so we're, we'll, we'll be willing, we have the freedom, the luxury because of our ministry to come up with ideas and to present them to people. And, you know, even as I'm saying that, I'm looking at one of our other core values, which is God is the architect. And one of the ways we define that is the willingness to leave the familiar behind. And that's what this is. This is this, this whole episode really is, a, is an exhortation, isn't it? Just to imagine what it would be like if we left the familiar behind and we pictured what could be, not how are we going to get there, forget right. that, just what could be. So the, the, one of the ways to think of the paper is it's like a little book or it's a, it's a magazine article and it's got a bunch of headings, right? So, you know, maybe just for the sake of organizing this in people's thoughts, like th- these are the headings. So there's a short little introduction about the times that we're living in. And we go into something that we began to speak about uh, in last week's episode, what time is it? Namely, it's this change of eras. We're leaving a time of Christendom. We're heading into an apostolic mode. Then we we quickly share our three fundamental convictions, and we've spoken about those in other episodes. Uh, Then we talk about our three um, essential principles for transformation in a parish and in the church as a whole, and we've spoken about those in other episodes as well. Then we talk about this current situation that we're living in right now, especially in the in kind of the COVID era and all that's coming from that. And then we just invite people to dare to imagine a parish where, and we're going to break that open here. That's what this podcast is all about. Um, some suggested next steps, some things that we can be, begin to do now. Then we do a uh, just a special short note on Catholic schools because we don't have the 
I don't think we feel like, at least I don't, the competency to really speak into that. And then we end with a little conclusion. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the gist of the, of the white paper, right? Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right, Father John. And for anybody curious to read it, if you haven't before, it is at imaginethis.acts29.org. That is where you can find that. And, and, and just to kind of push us in that direction, tweaking parishes is over. That doesn't work, right? This is not about tweaking. So as we start this conversation, like imagine this bold, nude way to think about the parish, maybe from the ground up, if you will. Did you say new or nude? Uh, <laughs> I said like nude. nude. I know what he meant to say. Did I, I know what he meant? Trying to keep the room Boy, light, bro. Imagine that. <laughs> Don't dare to imagine this, okay? You'll go to Sorry. confession. Sorry, new, new way of being parish. Sorry, yes, brother. That's great. That's great. You know, it's uh, it's good. Someone's someone's got to be the butt this of the is, joke today. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> this is how our days are. It's great. Welcome to my nightmare. Welcome, right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it 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 is bold, and uh, it it is not working to just tweak and to do band aids. That's why we think the the time we're in has really kind of accelerated something. And I think mm-hmm. one thing just to say right away, you know, that's really important. Um, the the how we're going to get to a place is really a worthwhile, like, not just conversation, but ongoing series of conversations. But right. that's not what this is. Right. Because oftentimes getting lost in the how, it just stifles creativity. And people immediately go, well, how are we going to do that? So what if we had no restraints? What if we had no boundaries? I mean, certainly we're going to have some restraints. We're going to have some boundaries. We're going to have some limitations. But let's dare to think about something. So this is a destination not a roadmap. And, you know, Steve, it's so fitting to have you here. You're the one who gave the image. Uh. Yeah, you know, God really gave me this image in prayer, but to, to, to segue, you know, begin with the end in mind. Yeah. I mean, let's start with, let's start with the destination and, and not worry about the how. So, yeah, in prayer, we were, we were uh, wrestling around with some of this stuff, and the image that came to mind is Jeannie and I are recently semi-retired as as close to retired as father john will let me be but um you know and and we were looking for a retirement home so imagine yourself going to an architect and saying hey um have a great time come up with any design you want but this is our retirement home and it has to have some essential things in there you know it's got to have a first floor master a first floor uh, laundry you know workout room so golf simulator probably we're working on that. Um, that was a discussion with the wife versus genie versus the architect. But um, so that that's kind of the the context for this. You know, let's imagine parishes with no restrictions, but there are some essential things that have to be there. And we've talked about those, but we'll talk about them again today. But the health of the health of our priests is is got to be number one. Yeah, yeah. And and so it's really intended to be. Um, I don't want to say generic. That's not the, quite the right word. The Archbishop of Detroit used the word a template. I like that word. It's intended to be something that we throw out there, which obviously a bishop in a particular diocese and the people who are working with him, they're going to tweak it. It's going to vary from place to place, right? Like this isn't going to look, this isn't going to work in, in Utah, <laughs> right? Where there's one diocese. Right, right. So it's going to vary from place to place. It could look different right? in say, you know, Madison or or Bismarck, or Savannah, or whatnot. But, so it's intended to be a template, intended to be a destination, but we would suggest that 
as you construct this template, as we think about this, as we pray about it, as we try to dream about it, these essentials, care for the priests so that they're thriving, making sure that the, the staff are adequately compensated and that they're surrounded by an adequate, appropriate, necessary number of people to do the work of both caring for the faithful and equipping the faithful. So that's the second, you know, room that's essential, right? Right. Third essential room is that uh, that the lay faithful who are in the pews, and the way I keep saying it is, they just get what they deserve, right? Mm. Like, they get the care that they're entitled to. Mm. They get great worship. They get great preaching. They get uh, great pastoral ministry. Uh, they get great equipping for going out and doing that which is uniquely their vocation of evangelizing and sanctifying. Mm -hmm. And those things usually don't happen because the priests and the staff are so small in number and under-resourced that you're just running from thing to thing to thing. And so oftentimes, I can say this about my own ministry, you feel like you're giving people scraps. I'm giving you what's left mm -hmm. over, right? And then ultimately, you know, it's, it's also so that we can come up with these great opportunities, the best of opportunities for the lay faithful, or rather for the, uh, the fallen away, the lapsed Catholic, or the nuns, you know, those who have no religious affiliation. They can have not only encounters with Jesus through uh, programs or whatnot that we create, but they can go to a parish where they can encounter the unity and the mercy and the love of God, which this world right now is longing to experience. Like, I want to know there's a place where I can go where there's real unity and there's real love. Wow. That, that's a great place to just say, okay, so what can this look like, right? What, how many priests could serve at a parish? I mean, right now we see one if we're lucky, right? Yeah, so I, I, I'll speak about this as a priest, you know, imagine, right? So just picture this in your mind. Picture you belong to a parish where there's three, four, five, six priests. So like I say that and my shoulders immediately drop. Because the norm right now, you got one priest. If you're fortunate, you got two. If you got the bonanza, you got three, right? And sometimes you don't have one priest. You're sharing that priest with multiple other parishes. And so... Here, here's the reality as a priest, even if I got one or two guys with me, if I'm fortunate to have that, I'm still trying to care for uh, an inordinate number of people that I can't adequately care for. I mean, you, you, you just never go to bed going like, I think I really met all the needs of the people today. And oftentimes because of the numbers, right? You've got guys who are, I think people are surprised by this. You've got guys who are doing roles they would actually rather not do. So not every guy who's ordained to the priesthood wants to be a pastor. I'm at a point right now, like I'm 24 years in. If I go back into parish ministry, I will be happy as a clam flying, wing, flying wingman with somebody. If it's the right guy, if it's a guy who's got a charism to lead, right, who's awesome at motivating, who can catch a vision, who can communicate the vision, who can win people to the vision, who can raise up leaders to accomplish the vision. I mean, there are a lot of guys who would love to work with that guy as a pastor. And then we or they can just exercise those gifts that they love to, to swim in. I, I, I got priests, you guys know priests, 
who they would be so content sitting in a confessional all day long. Yeah, we've talked to guys like that, right? I mean, around the country, mm-hmm. we've literally talked to guys who I was ordained and I was excited about the sacraments. And now I'm CEO, in one sense, right, of a massive multi-million dollar organization. And, I'm overwhelmed. And being a CEO sometimes implies that it's just administration. I'm just like managing people. Right. And that's not what they were ordained to do. That's right. They're ordained to lead, to serve, right. to be apostolic, to be evangelists, huh? right. to be all right. these things, to equip people for the work of ministry. So if we have this many priests, I mean, how many, how many deacons, Deacon Steve, do you think we could have at a parish, right? Those guys who kind of like oh, fly yeah. behind the scenes, and, hidden. Exactly. <laughs> and to, to really just support the pastor and, and to, to exercise the gifts that the Holy Spirit has poured out. Yeah. So often we see, uh, so you could have, yeah, you could have three or four deacons at each parish, yeah. I, I think one other thing that's just worth saying from the priest perspective, right? So, and, and I, I want to be careful as I say this because I don't want to like play the violin on my shoulder or, you know, try to draw unnecessary attention to us or woe is us. But as we've said in, in a lot of different conversations around the country over the last year or so, uh, the analogy would be everybody knows marriage and family is on the front lines. And everybody knows like the struggles that are going on within marriage. We see the divorce rates. We see the, the issues that are happening in family life. You guys are married. You got kids. You know this stuff. And so I don't want to detract from that. But, but, but the point is people know that. What people don't know is what's going on in priests' lives. I mean, before I was ordained, I mean, like, I would have looked at priests and went, that's an awesome gig. You work like an hour a week. Right. What do you do? You know, right. like, what does a priest do during the day? They have, if, if you don't work in a parish or if you don't have a friend who's a priest, you don't know. But priests, again and again, all around the country that we're pouring into and that we're seeing, these are like, uh, they're, they're, they're first aid medics, right? They, they just live, you know, we're talking about hanging signs in our windows right now, honoring those people who are first responders, and rightly so. Can't thank people like that enough. That's what a priest is. A priest is a first responder. And he's going from fire to fire and trauma to trauma and his head's on a swivel. And he's going from tremendously joyful occasions to horrific tragedies in like 20 minutes could be. And it goes back and forth throughout the course of a day. And it often just never ends. And so if you live alone and that's your life, what are you going to get? You're going to get frustrated discouraged, beat up, um, a sense of being uh, burnt out, disconnected. And then if you're not really careful, that'll go sideways in a hurry. Mm. I might start to drink, mm. might start to look at porn, might have an affair, I mean, who knows what, right? You might right. just leave. I'm like, I can't handle it right. anymore. And so all of a sudden in this dare to imagine, what we're trying to get people to imagine is a place, a community which is served by priests who are large in number and who are thriving. That would be phenomenal. Father John, I was with a meeting with a, about a dozen CEOs yesterday. And, uh, you know, we, we were sharing about some of the things that we're doing. And, and uh, they had so many questions about what we were doing here. You know, they had no idea. So I shared this experience of us going out and ministering to pastors and priests. And um, they were blown away by this, the state of 
some of our priests' lives. Not everybody, but the state of some of our priests' lives. Um, and many of the, a few of the, uh, a few of these CEOs were Catholic, mm-hmm. and uh, afterwards they they came around and said, "What can we do?" Mm-hmm. They were really eager. They had no idea that their pastor would potentially be so overwhelmed, you know, and they were seriously, they sincerely wanted to know what they could do to serve him and help him. It was a great conversation. And if you look at statistics uh, across the board, right, it's, it's, it's certainly not just Catholic priests, no. No. Protestant clergy, the, the rate of leaving is off the chart. I had, uh, I had lunch when you're talking about that with a, a guy not too long ago who's a tremendous uh, evangelical who's who just retired from uh, his ministry, and he now runs a new ministry, which is only dedicated to pouring into guys who've either left ministry or they're burned out or they're fried. He brings them on retreat. And these are guys who have families. So it's a struggle, it's a challenge, but they got people around them at least. Imagine having nobody around you. Well, isn't this statistic something like each parish is staffed with approximately 2.5 Yep. Staff people. Right. And, 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 you know, the burnout rate that you guys are talking about and, and, and what we can do for our brother priests, um, doesn't matter how long you've been ordained. You can be ordained 18 months and get that already arrive at that point where you're just exhausted and ready to throw in the towel. We met with a, a gentleman, I think a year ago in April, he'd been ordained 18 months. He had three parishes and Monday morning came and he was exhausted and thought, I've got to go at this again. Right. So 18 months, 18 years, or 50 years, it happens. Yeah, it does. And, you know, uh, one thing we didn't say yet was the guys who quit and stay. Yeah. Um, we have mm-hmm. a ton of priests who have quit and mm-hmm. are still staying as a priest. And what I mean by that specifically is they're so burnt out, they're so beat up, they have just given in to the machine that is that can be a ministry life mm. and um yeah so 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 imagine instead of this burned out lonely difficult circumstance for for our, our priests suddenly they have three maybe six brothers in mm. arms where when they go home so so that when those tough days come and mm. they yeah. will and do come they can go home to brothers and just kind of like Hey, can we talk about the day, you know, or they, or, or, or you see the guy who's not talking and you can just say to him simply like, Hey, what's going on, man? Right, you, you don't friends. look okay. Right. And, and to be clear, like, this isn't just like, I can have a great life as a priest, you know, like I want a big <laughs> house and I want to live with a lot of brothers. I mean, the, the benefit to the parish, if the priests are more in number and they're thriving. So imagine, right? Imagine you belong to a parish where because we have this many priests, you've got four or five daily masses. So rather than having to, uh, you know, hope that you'll have a daily mass or, you know, the, the priest simply because he's trying to survive, he has mass at nine because he's still trying to recover from the night before. But, I mean, who can go to a nine o'clock mass unless you're retired, right? So imagine now you got a 630 mass, you got an eight o'clock mass, maybe you got a noon mass in a suburban or in a rural setting or a city setting downtown. Maybe you got a five o'clock mass or a seven o'clock mass, and you got this every day, every single day. Maybe, you know, like one of the constant complaints we hear as priests is, how come there's not more time for confessions? 
one of the answers to that is because you keep coming to confession, by the way. If you would stop coming to confession so often, maybe some other people who <laughs> could actually get here, but um, that's another story. Yeah. But imagine you got five, six priests and you got two of them who have the charism of mercy hmm. and all they, all they do is they say to the pastor, hey, just turn me loose, man. I'll be in the confessional all day, every day from eight to four. And so you got confessions all day or maybe in the evening too. You've got people who are, you know, one of the constant sources of frustration for us as priests is the lonely, the homebound, the sick. They don't get cared for anywhere near what they should be getting cared for, right? Right. And it's not because the priest is sitting there playing Pac-Man. He's it's, putting out another fire. He's putting out another fire. Right. And so unfortunately, it only happens when it, you know, like somebody puts a note in front of you and goes, you know, Sally is dying right now. And you're like, sorry, I got to go. And you're on your way to the hospital. But what if instead of only emergencies like that, what if you had a guy or two who, they, again, they got a charism of ministering to the sick. They go every day. They just make the rounds. For all the homebound, all the mm. sick, all the people in the nursing homes, they sit and spend time with them. We were talking to a priest not too long ago who says, if you want to see the best part of my day, come with me when I go to the hospital. Mm. That's what I love. And he's thriving. To do, yeah. Right? So, again, the, the idea behind here is to create an opportunity for the priest to thrive so that the people can get what they deserve. Right. But that's only one of the rooms. I mean, there's a couple of the rooms here. That's right. It, 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 what we're... What we're positing here is that in marriage, imagine, um, imagine trying to have a healthy family when mom and dad are dysfunctional and the marriage is not healthy. So that's where it's got to start, right? Uh, so our priests have to be healthy. And then our, from there, the kids and the family can be healthy. And that health can out, flow out of that house to the neighborhood. So, yeah, the second... The second one is for, for our staffs to become healthy. Yeah. Right. We take our cues right from having a healthy, thriving uh, pastor who's, who's willing to lead. Um, I, I'm listening to all of you talk, and I'm reflecting back on my own time in the parish. I can remember like a typical, typical week might have been maybe three events. And so whatever that event was, um, there was a responsibility to lead, to form, to develop content. And oh, by the way, if you're embracing radical hospitality, you needed to decorate that space. If you needed technology, you, need to, you needed to figure out how all the equipment worked to make sure that you had sight, sound, the whole bit. And if you needed a setup, you needed to get the setups yourself. So you are flipping tables and chairs and dressing tables and doing all of these things that's really, really important. And if you wanted worship, you had to figure that out too. So if you look in, in, into our white paper, we talk about, you know, imagine a place that has a hospitality director, <laughs> a technology director, a media director. And because prayer is one of the most important, the most important thing we do, imagine if you had someone just to lead and oversee and develop prayer ministry, or we recognize how important it is uh, to help folks come to know what their gifts are, what their charisms are, to be able to have someone like that on your staff. 
and because it's so important as we're out on mission that we that we bring people in into community that we have small group communities mm-hmm. but typically that falls on maybe that 2.5 staff people right and it's just too much to do and i remember in a, in our last parish when we got to that point where we had someone to oversee facilities and setups and IT and media, it was a dream. Right. Because you could you could lead with prayer, you could develop your leaders, form your leaders, teach, form. It was amazing. And and you can have the freedom, right, to create. I can remember Mary when uh, we worked together at uh, the parish. There was one day where we were in the middle of a huge time of transformation. And we, we just stopped everything in the middle of this conversation and said, so let's just throw out our org chart right now. Let's just imagine that the bishop or the archbishop just said to us, hey, I'm sending you to Timbuktu. There is no parish there. I want you to start a parish. So we're starting from scratch. What would we create? What would the jobs be that we would need? What would the ministries be that we would need? And the reason that sticks in my mind as you're talking is because So often part of the challenge in parish ministry is we're operating with like a 1970s org chart. You know, the number of people, for example, who have a youth minister is abysmally low. So you say things like hospitality director and people are probably going, you got to be kidding me, you know, or a charism coordinator. So we have two and a half folks running all these different things, and then we're just going to ask them to do more. So there's got to be a better way. We've got to dare to imagine parishes where the org chart represents the needs of the world in which we're living in right now. And just to illustrate this point, two things, actually. So Deacon Steve and Mary, when I came on board uh, just over a year ago, you guys were wrapping up at Good Council. We had a lot of conversations about um, the transition. And just one of the things Deacon Steve kept drawing our attention to was, you know, how many hats Mary wore and how really the conversation was around how many positions would it take right. to fulfill um, Mary's role, right? I mean, this was, is this was what the conversation we were having. I don't know. Yeah, and we, we, we ended up hiring two people to replace her for, for the incoming pastor. Um, and uh, I'm not sure that was enough. Yeah, could have I mean, been free, was, huh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it was either. And and and, and but this reminds me of Father John. You said something very telling one time to uh, to me in conversation. I think you've said it a lot of other places. But so, Our Lady Good Council, when you were a pastor there, um, was comparable to this evangelical or Protestant church down the road in size and mm. membership, if you will. Mm. How many staff did you have at the parish of Good Council versus, if you will, the staff that this similarly sized? Uh, Protestant church had? Yeah, we had about 25. They had over 100. I mean, just let that sink in. So here's a, here's a great Catholic parish with 25 people trying to do the work of what another well-equipped church was doing with 100 people. Yeah. And so we'd routinely get things like, how come you guys don't do what they do? It's like, well, uh, would, you like to, would you like to volunteer? Because one of the things, to be clear here, it... it, it there's a model of doing this where actually some of these people who might want to step into parish ministry and serve on staff, they don't need to be paid. Like right. there's a boatload of people with gifts and talents coming out of their ears who are just hungry th- to serve. It's halftime. Yeah. They're looking for something to do in yeah. the second half of their lives. Yeah. And it's like, Father, I got all these gifts and you could use me. Put me to work. Put and me in, coach. Put me in. Let's go. <laughs> 
So th- that's the second room, huh? In the, or the second non-negotiable in this house that we're trying to dare to imagine. But I'd love to hear, you know, like I'm the guy in the cower. All of you have worked both in parishes and dioceses. But what would this be like to be as a parishioner? Like how would it feel? Picture yourself in this kind of parish. How do you feel? Well, it looks like I'd be getting the best of pastoral care. Like, I don't, I'm not going to get someone's voicemail. I'm not going to get a call back in two days. My family's needs are going to be met. It looks like we're going to have incredible worship. We're going to have access to the sacraments. We're going to have great, um, great formation. Um, we're going to get what it is we need to have in the pew so as to go out to bring the gospel to everybody else who's not in with us in the pews. You know, recognizing who, uh, who's not to the left and who's to the right of us. So I'm getting formed, I'm getting equipped, I'm getting ministered to, and I want to tell everybody about this great parish. Like, who wouldn't want to be a part of this? I mean, there are so many times I see some new opportunity in the parish will pop up, and it just sputters out so quickly because there's no one to support it. There's no staff member that can help prop up a newly forming group. I mean, like, I've had the experience of trying to start some kind of, you know, Bible study effort. And I, I mean, we, I, we showed up to do it. So here, I'm a volunteer, right? I show up to put on this Bible study. I have 15 people standing there with me. The doors are locked to the building we're supposed to have access to. And I can't get a hold of any of the staff. And I don't blame them. I, I know what they're going through. <laughs> like, hey, I just put in 70 hours in four days and I'm finally eating dinner with my kids. I'm not taking your call, Nick Jorgensen. <laughs> and I totally <laughs> respect that. But Blocked. but like, but I'm now now it's on me. And now guess what? I'm I'm a frustrated volunteer who wanted to right. do something for the for the kingdom, who now, you know what? I'm not gonna next time it comes up, I, you know, the last memory I have is the door was locked and I couldn't get in. Right. And I don't really want to do that again. And so what happens is we, we, we have potential ministry, ministries that could flourish, people that want to gather, communities that could form, discipleship that could take place that just doesn't because we don't have the staffing needs, you know? So to think, I think about my own parish, which is, which is really a great parish. If they could double the number of staff people, if they could double the number of priests, I, I mean, I would... It would feel like I'd have to. I, I'd feel like I was in a dream. Mm-hmm. I mean, just I mean, just to point to this, imagine this. Like it would literally feel like I was in a dream. Right. But this isn't all toward. Um, this is an important point. I think it's it's not all toward providing more stuff mm. for the people in the pews. Mm. This isn't about hey, great, you know, bring the piggies to the trough. We're gonna pour more stuff in there. This is all <laughs> about having the staff, having enough clergy having the right staff to equip the people in the pews. That's what this is about. And, you know, because we're, because we're so thin at the, at the top, that's the wrong terminology, but because we're so thin, um, priests, clergy, and, you know, the clay ecclesial staff, you're stuck doing all the stuff that you should not be doing, right? right? And not focused on equipping people for leadership equipping the people in the pews for the next non-negotiable that that every ideal parish needs to have keep in focus probably that is the thing 
right. to keep in focus. The lapsed Catholics, which is the second largest denomination in the church, in the country, I think. And who's going to go out and get them and if the we nuns. don't equip right. people to live out their baptismal call as That's priest, right. prophet, and king? That's right. And I, and I think, you know, even more so, one of the things coming out of the post-COVID era or the COVID era, whatever era we're in, I'm not sure... Uh, and we don't know the answer to this, right? But it, it's a it's a question that's up for you know debate. How many people who've been away from the church for the last three months plus now are coming back? So um, I think it's I think it's a bit absurd to presume they're all coming back. Mm-hmm. Which and the reason I say that maybe they will. Who knows? But the reason I say that is because it makes it all the more imperative for what you're talking about, Steve and Mary to happen for the lay people in the pews to be equipped to be first uh, made more powerfully motivationally aware of the fact that the work of actually evangelizing is not mine as a priest or yours as a deacon it is yours as a dad and a grandfather and an employer and a small business owner it is yours as a dad as a mom but it's not mine. So first, to just to make people aware of that, and then, you know, it's one thing to make them aware of it. It's like, well, how am I going to do that? Then you provide them this equipping that I know the two of you uh, often talk about, Steve and Mary, about how essential this is. So it's all for the purpose of, I love the way Mary just put it a moment ago. We heard a bishop, Bishop Daniel Flores, down in uh, Texas one time. He said, you should be going to Mass every Sunday, and you should be asking yourself the question, who's not here who should be here? And you probably got a long list, mm-hmm. meaning who are the people I know who are living the nightmare that is life apart from God, but no one's ever taken the time to share the gospel with them, and oftentimes it's not through any fault of their own. They don't know how to do it. So we want to try to equip those people to be able to do that because God wants his world back. And there's no greater mission than that, right? I mean, uh, we talk a lot here on team um, about just the rescue mission that Jesus Christ embarked on, the greatest mission of all human history, and we get to participate in that. That's our call. Right. And we talk about this a lot, and, I, and rescued people go out, and they rescue people. It's the best news out there. It's the best headline out there. That's what we're called to do. You know... You guys have heard me say this before. You get an A-plus on a paper, you go tell somebody. You graduated magna cum laude, you go tell somebody. You got that promotion, you go tell somebody. You got rescued by Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and your life has been remade new and recreated. We got a world around us that's dying to hear that kind of news. And to Steve's point, I mean, we have to equip men and women in the pews to go out and put their hands to the plow and share that mission. That's why we exist. We've got a hungry, hurting world right now. And unfortunately, the church, if we're even talking about what's going on, and oftentimes we're not, Mm -hmm. is talking about it in a woefully inadequate way. And the world around, we're sitting here in the city of Detroit, which we love dearly, which has been a model, thanks be to God, of uh, peaceful demonstrations, right, in this uh, time that we're living in. Just can't applaud some of the people in the city enough for all that they're doing. But 
it, as we mentioned in last week's episode, at the foundation of the pain that people are feeling is an answer that only God can deliver. And they're not going to know this. They're not going to experience the healing, the transformation, the reconciliation, the unity, the peace, the hope, unless they come into an encounter with God because he's the only answer for what ails the human race because what ails the human race is the heart. Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to be heralds of that. And for the most part, people aren't coming to church. So where are they going to... Absolutely. Where are they going to encounter Jesus Christ? But through... Through you. Through you, you know? You know, this is really... It's not that the church exists for those who are not there. And what we're talking about is that the rescued go find the go rescue. It's one beggar showing mm. another beggar mm-hmm. where there's bread. Yeah. yeah. It's that's that's it, yeah. you know? This is what God has done for me. And if he's done this in my life, he can do this in your life. Amen. And that'll happen in the encounter, hopefully in a one-on-one, uh, because right. I've been equipped by the people in the parish to always be able to do that better. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to be able to bring them to a place where I actually can see this lived out, where I see community. what it looks like should be happening. Like community, blacks and whites and Hispanics, men and women loving each other, um, real unity, tremendous worship, giving God what he's entitled to, what he deserves, what he justly deserves this is where we want to bring these people right now. And all too often we can't do that because we don't have the resources. I, I know, Nick, you know, you, you can speak into this from a, a diocesan perspective. I know there's something here that you want to say on this because I know I've heard you repeat it a number of times. But maybe just speak into that. How would, imagine this, if we got these kind of parishes, what impact does that have on a diocesan level as someone who's worked in diocesan offices? Yeah, you're, 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 you're starting to... Scratch my itch, Father John, to, to, to speak on this. So this, if you're a bishop or a chancery employee and you're thinking about reimagining parishes in this way, do you, I mean, I, I'm saying this because I, I know because I've been in that spot, how much time we waste on things like compliance, on reporting, on untenable meetings because we have so many voices. Hmm. I mean, in the white paper, we propose in one diocese, they could go from as many as 200 parishes, right? All the way down to what, 40 or 50? Mm-hmm. And, and in that particular diocese, still have everybody be able to reach their parish. That would now be a center of excellence, as we say, in 15 minutes. So imagine you go from 200 down to around 50 with great leadership, with great teams, great staffs. I mean, the, the amount of time and energy wasted on things that really... Are, 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 are not missional, if you will, is, is gone. And now you can put all that resource you've been spending on, on, um, on, on policies, on, on compliance, into, into evangelization and discipleship and propping up the priests and helping them and, and dreaming and being creative. I mean, that, that's, that's incredible. That's an incredible um, uh, gift back to, if you will, chanceries and, and, and diocesan thinking. And to be sure, this, this is... This, kind of uh move is is not going to be easy it it's not and and it's going to impact people on the ground in their parishes and so um <laughs> Jeannie and i are campers we brought our kids up as campers and if we'd have told the kids that we were going on vacation for two weeks and we were going to drive 30 hours 
to get to this destination, they would have never gotten in the car. But what we did do is we showed them, we showed them pictures of the Grand Canyon. Mm. We showed them pictures of the Rocky Mountains. Mm. We showed them where we were going. Mm. We're going to go there. I want to go there. I want to go there. Okay. It's going to take now, 30 hours. It's, take, it's okay. You know, okay, plan. Play games. Bring games. Cast this incredible vision. And, you know, don't forget to, to, to include, um, oh, you know, we're leaving this little house behind. We're going to go out into the expect. We're... We're leaving this broken system, this broken thing behind to go for something new. It's not going to be easy. Uh, we're not saying that. Yeah. And there were probably a few arguments along the way in the motorhome, right? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> another podcast. And that's, and that's gonna, <laughs> another podcast. But that's okay. That's going to happen, right? I mean, so I think what... You that's know, right. I, I love that image, uh, Steve. I mean, that's that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to show you a picture of the Grand Canyon for the church. Right. And it, it requires apostolic boldness to recognize what what time it is and it rec uh, it uh, requires extraordinary courage and that's and that's hard to come by too but but god wants to provide all of that if we have the desire leaders who desire to lead will pray like that right and it flows out of everything that we're about as a organization in acts 29 which is unshakable confidence in the fact that Jesus is Lord and he wants all of this more than we do. And because he's Lord right now on his throne, not just of heaven, but of earth, because of that, you don't have to be afraid. He's the one that's with you. And you were born for this. <laughs>